and welcome to Aerial Evolution. My guest today is Aaron Ball. Aaron is a circus artist and coach based in Kingston, Ontario, and is the owner of Kingston Circus Arts. In March 2014, life-changing events resulted in having both of her lower legs removed. She has since returned to aerial training, coaching, and performing. She teaches both adaptive and non-adaptive aerial and ground circus arts. In 2016, Aaron, along with Vanessa Furlong, co-founded Legacy Circus Arts Performance Company. Their mission is to make aerial and groundworks more accessible for all, including the blind and partially sighted community. In 2017, Erin developed Flying Footless, a course for aerial coaches working with amputees aimed at increasing accessibility in circus arts. Erin also writes a column for the Kingston Wig Standard newspaper called No Feet in a Heartbeat about her life since the accident. So just a note about today's episode, we're not going to really delve too much into the accident itself. Um, there's lots of material out there already. I will put a link in the show notes if you want to read more. So with that, let's go ahead and dive in. Hi, Erin. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Hi, Rowan. So nice to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. So as I was researching for this episode, I was able to find out a lot about your accident and aerial life since then, <laughs> but I couldn't really find much about your early days. So that's kind of where I would like to start. So how did you initially get introduced to Ariel and what was your work like before 2014? Great question. I was teaching yoga and doing personal training and starting to do some, I guess, partner yoga. And I saw a poster at a yoga studio for a hula hoop workshop. And I decided to sign up and try it. And I was terrible. <laughs> um, and I really wanted to like it. But um, yeah, I kind of left it alone for a bit after that. Uh -huh. And then I guess it was at a Buskers Festival, not that much uh, after that, that I saw a couple doing partner acrobatics where the base was standing and the flyer was doing a handstand on the base's arm. And I was like, that is it. That is what I want to do. And I started looking into where I could train and found out there were circus schools kind of all over. And I went to Toronto and signed up for classes right away. And then after that, I started traveling. And just by chance, I was traveling through New England and looked up what was around there. And um, the New England Center for Circus Arts was there. And I found them and signed up and yeah, just kept going, kept uh, training wherever I could. And so that was about 2008. And eventually I came back to Ontario and yeah, I got asked to perform and I felt very uh, unready, but said yes and started doing a few performances here and there and there, there were no places to train. I'm on the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of the Ojibwe and what is known as Cataraque or Kingston, Ontario. And there were no spaces to train here. So I started asking around at uh, gyms and gymnastics clubs uh, if I could train. And eventually a gymnastics club said yes. And I had everything set up so that I could just train myself. So was this doing acrobatics or was this also doing aerial stuff? Yeah, great question. I, I left that part out. So yeah, I started with the acrobatics. And when I signed up in Toronto, I 
saw that they had trapeze on the mm. list of what was available. And I took a class and fell completely in love with Ariel. And uh, yeah, so started switching. I, I, you know, trained in a lot of different things. But yeah, Ariel is for sure my passion. Yeah. And so I started training and then people started asking uh, if I would teach. And I had had a little bit of training in teaching um, at a studio in Toronto and had a background in teaching, you know, movement and uh, started, yeah, reluctantly <laughs> teaching classes and then kept uh, learning. I took several teacher trainings and, yeah, kept performing. And at that time, I... Mm, I guess I would say my style was very corporate Mm. um, and there weren't a lot of performance opportunities here in Kingston, um, mainly because there just aren't the venues. um, There isn't the height. So eventually I bought an aerial rig and, you know, was able to use that outside um, weather permitting. But yeah, I, I felt like I really wanted to offer something more and kind of dig deeper. I guess I really wanted to explore storytelling, but I felt like I didn't have a story at that time. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. So that took me pretty much to 2014 when my accident happened. Right. So yeah. So in 2014, for anyone who doesn't know your story, just really briefly, you got lost in the woods for six days and ended up having your lower legs amputated, which you wrote an incredibly powerful and candid piece about the accident and months that followed. And I'll put a link up for people to read. Great. Yeah. And so in it, among the things you talked about are that your ECT treatments and going from being a successful business owner to living in a homeless shelter and wanting to die, which is insane. And I can't even imagine what that was like. But the essay that you wrote is very powerful. And thanks. I would maybe just um, give a content warning with when you link that, just that, yeah, it does talk about amputation and intense hospital, medical, industrial treatment, and uh, yeah, suicidal ideation. Yeah, for sure. But ultimately, you found yourself moving your body and getting back into what you love, which is aerial and, and how that saved your life as you rediscovered your passion and desire to get back in the air. So I'm curious, what unexpected challenges did you face when you were doing all of that? I mean, I think... The biggest one is realizing, I guess I had been kind of oblivious to the systems of power, the structures, um, the way that everything is set up in our society. And actually, I remember being in a teacher training at NECA where they had a question about what populations we would like to work with. And one answer was the disability community. And I remember thinking, like, how is that even possible? And my answer at that time was no. Interesting. And so I think really one of my biggest challenges was going from a non-disabled, ableist um, existence to kind of understanding a lot of things uh, really quickly. Well, (laughs) some faster (laughs) than others, and I am still learning all of the time. Yeah. But... Yeah. And I guess that really started in the hospital. And I think a lot of the, hmm, yeah, challenges were largely around, um, I I think that it could have been a lot easier if disability was more accepted. And I think if, if there was a wider understanding of disability justice and of the social model of disability. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't understand that at all before. Um, and I think, you know, a large part of society still currently is most 
familiar with the medical model, whether or not they realize that. And the medical model, in my definition, is this kind of underlying thought or belief that all bodies should be upright, walking, four-limbed, you know, the same mind, and that anything outside of that should be fixed or medicated. And I am not saying that um, medication is a bad thing at all. It definitely has its place. But that is, yeah, kind of the definition of the medical model of disability. And the social model was created in the 1960s by disabled people as a resistance to the medical model. And the social model states that it's really nothing to do with bodies or minds, it's the systems and the structures that are in place that create the barriers. Yeah. So I I was going to ask you if there were systems in place for you when you were trying to train and get into it, like facilities, equipment, coaches, you know, things that I don't, wouldn't even think about. Yeah. um, Yeah. So I guess that was kind of the challenge when I was in the hospital still. And I mean, definitely after as well. And then getting out, I mean, I couldn't even get in the door to a lot of places, the first place. And I'm so, so, so grateful for this. Um, but it was up four flights of stairs. And I was at a point where, you know, I was spending a lot of time using a wheelchair. And, mm-hmm. and you know, because of my beliefs that I didn't realize, <laughs> I thought that, you know, using a wheelchair was a terrible thing. And so, again, that that falls into those challenges of really exploring and, and educating myself. So, so yeah, the studio was up four flights of stairs. I was you know, spending limited amount of time on prosthetic legs and learning how to walk and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> needing to train and yeah, having to get up those stairs. And then, you know, first of all, there weren't really people in this area to work with me uh, circus wise. So I was doing a lot of training myself. And then I would travel to work with coaches. And what I found was a lot of people were, you know, the same, the same as me, we, we all thought the same. And there weren't a lot of visibly disabled people in circus. Um, and I think a lot of that is, you know, being able to get in the door and creating a welcoming environment. But I, I don't think it's the fault of individuals. I think it is, again, just society and the systems that are in place. So yeah, I initially tried to relearn everything the way that I had in the past. Uh, I wore my prosthetic legs and I thought, you know, this is what circus is and it has to be this straight leg and pointed toe. And I don't, how do I do this with these feet that don't point? And, you know, these legs that are so heavy that no matter how much conditioning I do, my legs are not going to be straight Mm -hmm. because I have very little lower leg and to hold up much longer weighted leg yeah, it's just, I'm never going to have that aesthetic. Right. So there was a lot of letting go and re-examining things that, that I thought made circus circus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of what makes circus circus, there is a history that we can't really ignore. And, you know, this is fundamentally a history podcast. So I do want to address that, you know, and, and your work now, you are very proud of who you are and, and you do highlight your legs. I mean, you've done everything from like shoot confetti and, <laughs> and colored smoke from them and it's amazing and love it. And I'll put links for other people to watch. <laughs> Thank you. But like I said, circus does have this dark history and it originated with the exploitation of the other. So I'm curious how you relate to that, if you do at all, and if you have any kind of approach to your work with that in your mind. And if you've encountered this today, or do you think we've kind of finally evolved past that? 
Yeah, it's a really great question. And it's been on my mind a lot. It is something that I don't feel like I can fully speak to the the past. It's something that I would really like to research more and do some creation around. Um, I know that Tina Carter, uh, who's based in the UK, Aerial Airheads, she's done some research around that and around people with visible differences being in circus and, and um, kind of asking questions around why that's been erased. What is on my mind a lot right now is that, yeah, disability was a big part of the beginning of circus and some of the um, roots of circus. And it is interesting to me that today, still, a lot of disabled people are, you know, maybe thinking they circus is not an option for them. Because Mm -hmm. I I do think, um, I think it's changing and people want to change and people are learning now. But yeah, it has been an underlying thing that this is the circus body and it's not disability body. Yeah, it's interesting that somewhere along the way it went from being circus was the other and this, you know, disability body. And then now it's you have to be the perfect ideal body and disability is shunned and not accepted. Yeah. It doesn't, it just doesn't compute. Yep. (laughs) It doesn't compute here either. Um, I mean, yeah, that's been a lot of my work in myself. And then also, yeah, just in terms of making welcoming spaces and what I've found, you know, when I started retraining myself and when I finally got to the point where I could take my prosthetic legs off and move past this idea of having to hide my legs because they're different and really embracing it and thinking of it as something unique and something that is beautiful. It really opened up a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And and the more that I started to work with the disability community, the more I started to understand it as like, okay, I know, you know, there are I have all these ideas of, you know, traditional tricks and skills and movement pathways, but what what an amazing puzzle to figure out how that works with different bodies. And it opens up so many possibilities and creates newness, which I think is really interesting as opposed to everybody having to do the same thing that looks the same way. How many times can we see splits? Splits are great, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Stay tuned for more with Erin after the short break. And so you co-founded Legacy Circus Performance Company and developed a manual centered around dismantling ableism called Flying Footless. So I would love for you to expand on these. Tell us what those are about, your approach, and and really how we, the larger aerial community, can get involved and help and, and really dismantle this just crazy idea that, you know, you have to look like everyone else. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you for asking. Yeah. So I met um, Vanessa Furlong at Circus Sessions, which is a week-long creative lab that was held at the Harborfront Center in Toronto and uh, produced by Femme du Feu. So we met in 2016 and Vanessa uh, was dancing on stilts and I was on my prosthetic legs and we had a mentor who said, you have weird legs and you have weird legs and you two should work together. 
together. Nice. And it was actually my first kind of bigger show post-accident and my first aerial show after my accident. And it was a very emotional and intense and powerful week. And in that time, Vanessa and I put together a five-minute piece where my legs, when I came out on stage, were covered. And we explored together and mirrored movements and eventually asked the question of what are your legs and what are your legs and had a reveal moment, both of our legs. And we both bawled the entire time on stage. And yeah, this five-minute piece ended up being, so she lives halfway across the country from me. Mm -hmm. And this Five minutes has continued to today. Still, yeah, work together all of the time, talk almost every day. So, yeah, we continued trying to put something together with what we had and kind of evolve it. And both of us were really interested in, you know, bringing disability and madness. So, mad, I'm referring to the mad pride movement relating to the mental health spectrum. This idea, the same as, you know, how I feel about disability today, that it is not a bad thing and that, you know, mental health doesn't have to be a bad thing either. And it is often framed in that way. And so I like to give it space to, yeah, not always be framed in a bad way. I love that. Some people live amazing lives with mental health differences. So yeah, we were really interested in that. And we would make trips to see each other and spend a few days together and just keep creating and keep creating and trying to bring other people in as well, learning more about access and we kept teaching people with different bodies, different minds. And initially, Flying Footless started out, <laughs> I wrote the manual to begin with, and Vanessa gave me guidance and suggestions and did all of the editing. And uh, it was very specific. It was for lower uh, limb amputees, because, you know, I feel like I <laughs> am an expert in that. Yeah, um, <laughs> And over time, as we worked with more and more people, uh, I started realizing that a lot of the guidelines really applied just in general for the disability community and beyond. Interesting. So it's really about reflecting on a lot of what coaches are putting out there and just reframing things, creating welcoming environments, you know, questioning things like, if the warm up is always we're running and jumping and doing burpees and push ups, except for you with this difference and you do this other thing, is that really creating a welcoming space? And mm -hmm. in my opinion, having experienced that so many times, it's not. Yeah. And it's really not that much of a shift. We can still keep those running and jumping and burpees warm ups. It's just bringing in everyone else with it. So there's a lot of discussions on warm ups on language and language is tricky. You know, there are so many different opinions. And yeah, there's a lot of circus-specific, I guess, explorations. And I've discovered a lot, you know, adding in different apparatuses together to really, I think, instead of trying to have individuals adapt to the apparatus, adapting the apparatuses to the individuals. Mm -hmm. 
And then just different ways, starting points, really, I guess, for, yeah, how to work with the disability community. So yeah, there's the manual and it goes along with course, which over the last year and a bit, we've um, transitioned to Zoom. <laughs> so so that's been interesting. But yeah, it, it keeps you know evolving each time that we do it. And we also have, so Legacy Circus is uh, mainly a performance company, and we really focus on trying to increase access for performers and audiences. Mm-hmm. And we think of access as multiple points of entry. So we explore, you know, how can blind people, people who have, you know, traditionally been left out of such a visual art form, how can they experience our work? And how can we bring in the deaf community and, you know, so many other people? Um, So yeah, that's mainly what we've been focusing on. That's awesome. So as you were talking, I have a few questions that popped up. Sure. One of them is, have you developed new apparatus to fit the different body types? Yeah. The first one, you know, as a circus person, I think most of us are always um, aerialists <laughs> wondering what we can climb on. And, you know, the wheelchair was so significant for me. And I'm not saying that I developed this. Other people have done this in the past, for sure. But yeah, the wheelchair, you know, once I started kind of accepting that this isn't actually a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's a tool and hmm, maybe I can climb on this. I started, you know, doing ground acrobatics with it and eventually had one modified so that I could uh, hang it in the air. And that opened up a lot of possibilities for me. And I didn't expect this, but having worked with a lot of people with upper limb differences, having tension below, let's say something like aerial silks can be really helpful that and and for so many other people as well. And I also developed, I mean, you know, it's a collaboration. None of this stuff comes specifically from me that, you know, I've learned from so many people and it's all, I I really think it's so much about community, but yeah, this idea came about for an aerial net and most of the nets that I have uh, encountered are hung like slings or hammocks. Mm -hmm. And I was working with my friend Tally Osborne and these are her words. Hang on, let me think of how she says this. She says she has no arms and she's three and a half feet tall and she has no knees. So we worked together quite a bit and she's incredible. She is so determined. I love that. Yeah, it's so much fun to work with her. One thing that we couldn't figure out was how she could climb independently on a vertical apparatus. Mm. And she had a lot of success hanging from um, loops, the like traditional hand loops that go with Spanish web, Yeah, putting those into her armpits. And so we started thinking on that. And I talked to lots of people about this idea and somebody suggested, yeah, like the net. And so I approached Circus Concepts and they built a net that um, hangs like silk. So vertically mm-hmm. with the idea idea that, you know, it can be for anyone, obviously, but people with limb differences could put their limbs into the loops and potentially climb. So I, it's still a work in progress for sure, uh, because the net is uh, so comfortable and not painful <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think in the future, I would love to explore um, thicker. Right. Like a rope kind of. Exactly. Yeah. 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 
But yeah, definitely there has been some, some success with that. Other things that have been explored, span sets and different loops um, hanging from apparatuses. So for example, someone that I work with, Sarah Tuberty, uh, she has a difference in one hand and she will hang from a bar by her wrist. But then when she goes to invert, you know, you can only hold like that for so long. So she's found success. Uh, she was able to do her first meat hook wow. with with the loops. Yeah. I'm just thinking the strength that takes. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, I'm going to try this. Ow! No. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. And then the other thing I was thinking of, because you were talking about, you know, the mad stuff and, and mental disabilities. And I've had this conversation with other people about circus being a safe risk taking in a way of healing and just how that has been that for me and so many other people I know and and then wanting to expand that to everyone. And, you know, the thought that people with disabilities couldn't have that is just heartbreaking. So I'm so glad you're doing this work and, and really helping. Vanessa is doing amazing work around, yeah, mental differences, the mental health spectrum and circus. If you want someone else to talk to, I would highly recommend. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Good to know. Yeah. So, and then another question I had, are there national or international funds that exist to help studios and or artists to get access to the equipment or, you know, whatever it is that they need to, to do this? So there is a grant. So it's called Challenged Athletes Foundation, um, and they give funding for training. Mm. And yeah, they will fund circus. So that is a yearly grant that people who identify uh, as disabled can apply for. There's another one. Mm, I can't think of the name right now. If I think of it, I'll, I'll look it up and I can send it to you. And then, yeah, in Canada, there are arts grants. And um, yeah, I know Ontario specifically has a, I think it's Mad, Deaf, Sick and Disabled um, mm. specific grant where where they funded circus arts. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah, because yeah. that was something that I... When I talked to Lindsay Butcher, she's the one who kind of put me onto this track. And, you know, she didn't know of any. And I was just shocked because there has to be, right? And and so I'm glad there are some that exist. And please do let me know so I can link them in the show notes too. Yeah. Yeah, they are quite few and far between. And they're, you know, circus, it tends to be quite expensive. And, and for that, yeah, yeah. It would be great if there were more. But yeah. that's what I know of right now. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And then, so just moving on to your personal stuff, do you have a person or actor, something that has been a profound impact on you as an artist? I'm going to say really it's other people who have kind of been doing this work before me. And there are so many, Cyrus Marcus, Alex Bulmer, a lot of um, people in the disability community, people, you know, activists. Yeah, so, so many. Yeah, it's hard to to pin it down to one. That's okay. (laughs) Do you have a favorite or treasured act that you've created? That's a good question. I think, you know, I'm excited about each one and love each one for what it is and in that moment. And I think they all kind of represent where I've been at in my process at that time. So I really appreciate them for what they are. 
Uh, I don't think I will ever get tired of the confetti cannons. And I've used that in so many different ways. Yeah, I guess the one that comes to mind, I mean, yeah, again, so many that I appreciate for many different things, largely because of the amazing people that I've been able to work with. But the extended body is a really interesting concept to me. And I would like to go back and explore the act a little bit more. I think I have five different heights in the act. Hmm. So I have legs that make me, well, I now have legs that make me seven and a half feet tall, but in that act, uh, it was six and a half and yeah, shorter ones and the confetti legs and no legs on. And then a piece of my leg that I discovered I could walk on when I took my feet off. And yeah, so just exploring, you know, what is a body and you know, how, how technology can, yeah, what does that do? What are, what are the options? And how does that influence movement, influence feeling? Yeah. That sounds exciting. And like, you just have a world of options available. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, is there anything else that you would like to add? I mean, I would really just encourage people if you're interested in learning more, again, just to research the social model, look into disability justice, sinsinvalid.org is a great place to start. And... Mm, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, yeah. Connect with the local disability community. Hire disability consultants. Find out how you can work together, how you can collaborate together. I really think that if we can shift into thinking that it is possibility and, you know, valuing people, <laughs> um, that, yeah, it's just going to be better for everyone. And ultimately with disability, we're all going there if we live long enough. So I really do think that it's in everyone's best interest. Yeah, that's for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been a delight and I know I'm really happy that you came on. Thank you so much, Rowan. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Aerial Evolution. And thanks again to Erin for coming on. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes for her story, funding, and so much more. And as always, I would love to hear from you. If you have questions or comments about this episode, come and find Aerial Evolution on the website, Instagram, or Facebook. All are at Aerial Evolution Pod. Stay tuned for future episodes with other amazing aerialists releasing every two weeks. Next time, I will be speaking with Brian Donaldson. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it.